Well, good day, everyone, and welcome to today's FS Club webinar brought to you uh, from London. Today, an interesting topic, uh, humanity detection in digital advertising utilizing smart ledgers. And we have here uh, two guests, uh, both from Beacon, Nigel Bridges, the CEO and co-founder, and Stuart Boucher, the CTO and data lead. And they're going to be talking to us uh, about some interesting uh, things indeed. Now, I can only do this, uh, and we can only do this, uh, as uh, chairs of these various sessions, because our sponsors allow us to range widely and freely across technology, economics, and finance. And I think some of the things that we're going to learn today from Nigel and Stuart might surprise many of you out there. The scale of ad fraud is simply breathtaking, um, both in as a percentage of total online advertising, which is now approximately 50% of all advertising, but breathtaking uh, simply in just sheer numbers alone. So it's not just the percentages. And what fraudsters get up to is notorious and various. They can auto-reload web pages, auto-refresh ad slots, ad stacking, where they put five to 100 ads on top of each other, pixel stuffing, where you've been served an ad but you can't see it, ad injections, redirecting data center traffic, pop-unders, push notifications, mobile apps with hidden browsers, fake apps, and malware. It's a pretty dangerous area out there. And it's gonna be interesting because today, Stuart and Nigel are not talking about uh, how to do it, uh, although I might like to know, uh, but they're, they're actually chatting about what they're doing to combat it, which is uh, far more important. Now, today's webinar is going to take a fairly familiar format for those of you who know it, and that's that uh, I will get out of the way as quickly as I can so you can hear from our experts. Uh, our experts will be speaking for approximately 20 minutes, and uh, then there'll be approximately 20 minutes for questions and answers. Uh, a few housekeeping points. Uh, firstly, yes, the slides will be posted and available. In fact, I think they are already on the website. Secondly, the recording will be up in approximately 48 hours for you to view again, if you wish, or to hand on to friends and colleagues. Uh, and finally, I'm here today with you, so please use the GoToWebinar question facility to send questions through to me, which I will feed into the discussion with Nigel and Stuart during the Q&A session. So with no further ado, Nigel, the floor is yours. Fantastic, thank you, Michael, and hello, everyone. It is great to be here. Um, as Mike said, I'm Nigel Bridges, CEO and co-founder of Beacon. Uh, Stuart will be talking just in a few moments uh, on some of the detail as well. So very briefly, what we do at Beacon is we help our clients analyze and improve their digital marketing campaigns. But we do that based on accurate, transparent and verifiably true data. And the problem with doing that is how do you get that accurate, true and verifiable data? So I'd like to run just a couple of polls as we start. Um, Michael, if you'd be so kind, if you could just put up a couple of polls for us. Great. Um, so the first poll here that the guys would like to ask is, does your organization take part in online paid advertising or promoted social posts? So yes, no, or don't know. Uh, fingers on the buzzers. Um, I'm always impressed. Today we had, uh, believe it or not, Nigel and Stuart, 50% uh, of the audience had voted in six seconds. So I'm now well up towards the 90s and I'm going to share the results of that. Uh, and over half uh, Great. do. Great. Okay. That's uh, Second one. Yep, just launching that one. 
And so how much of the online advertising budget on average do you think is wasted on invalid traffic or ad fraud? Less than 5% and so on. Again, just launching that poll. And can they beat themselves? I think it's a dead heat. Uh, just over 50% had also voted in six seconds. Nearly 80% of the audience has voted. I'm just about to close that. Great, and I'll share those results, which is basically that uh, two-thirds of the audience, over two-thirds, think more than 30% of the online advertising budget is wasted on invalid traffic or ad fraud. Fantastic, thank you. Um, now, that does not surprise me at all. Well done, that a lot of people advertise online. Um, and you're not surprised that over 30% of the advertising is completely wasted in, in fraud and invalid traffic. I just want to go through a few things here, a couple of statistics. So, for example, ad losses, losses from ad fraud last year estimated about £35 billion. Pounds. I mean, that is huge. Um, global advertising spend is around about $300 billion a year. It generates about $2.4 trillion in sales. And yet, digital marketing campaigns are subject to average losses due to fraud of between 30% and 50%, and sometimes even more. That is a lot of budget being wiped away before the advert even gets into a human being's eyeball. So uh, if you do the next slide, please, Michael. And um, this is always an interesting one. So there's a lot of little quadrant here. Input versus reward in terms of risk. So you can see, for example, organized crime, high effort, high reward. Um, medical records fraud, about two thirds of the way along on the risk, but the rewards are not huge. Ad fraud stands out as being incredibly high reward and very, very low risk. So please don't get any ideas out there, but it just gives you an indication of the scale of these things. And the market size at $300 billion tempts criminals into creating technology and techniques simply to steal money from the advertisers and the financial transactions. And this fuels a global problem that permeates the digital industry, causes lot, um, losses just to skyrocket. So um, next slide, please, Michael. Um, now, this isn't just a problem with the industry. So a couple of years ago, for example, the National Crime Agency did a deep dive into this. And you can see here a couple of quotes from them. It is indeed a low risk, high profit, recurring revenue crime. Um, and this doesn't just go into the pockets of innocent criminals, as it were. This really does fuel things like immigration, child sexual exploitation, slavery, human trafficking, and so on. So this is a very real problem, it is very big, and it's our dollars that are being wasted in doing this. Um, interestingly, we know a lot about this. More than one in five marketeers believe that their database is at least a quarter full of bots, and two thirds of marketeers say that they've personally experienced marketing fraud in the last 12 months. So the question is, what do we do about it? If you just flick on, thank you. Um, this is a rather, this is a marvelous quote. This is actually from the FBI, who are also out there trying to do something about it. This meth bot was a, a bot out there committing fraud in programmatic video. And you can see that it was generating for itself 
a very cool $3 million a day for very little effort. Now, thankfully, the uh, FBI got on top of it and they pulled the pulled them in. They, they had their collar felt. And you can see here, Case sends a powerful message that this office, together with law enforcement, will use all available resources to target and dismantle. Now, sadly, that was four years ago that they, they were rumbled, and it has got worse, not better. So that is the scale of the problem. So that's the problem. What I want to do now is hand over to Stuart, who can tell you a little bit about what we're trying to do to combat it. Thank you very much. Um, I'd just like to start with a, a poll question of my own, if I may. So, um, Michael, over to you. Great. Um, so how often do you critically assess your data sources and the data you have before using it to make or support decision making? And so we start obviously with never or always and very formally. So again, <laughs> folks, uh, fingers on the buzzers. Uh, it's fantastic. Over half the audience have voted. Over three quarters. I'll just leave it open a couple seconds longer, Stuart. That's great. And with virtually everyone having voted, I'll share the results. 55% uh, not often enough. Thank you. That's um, that's a very honest answer that I would expect from an audience of this caliber. Um, most of us do not treat our data uh, regularly enough. Now, I'm a member, I'm an active member of the Chief Data Officers Hub. Uh, which is a network of data practitioners. And what we do is we work within uh, how do we make businesses and organizations with academia? Um, how do we know what it means to be a data leader? And this slide here is from a recent online event where we're looking at the subject of the barriers to organizational data literacy. And critical thinking is one of those things that's the ability to think clearly and rationally about the data you've got available before you make decisions. So you don't make decisions based upon bad data. <clears throat> and this is very much where Beacon comes from. We deal with issues of fake traffic, as, as Nigel mentioned, that cost our customers real money in terms of fake clicks for paid ads. So we're looking at bot fraud across Facebook, Instagram, Google Ads, other ad platforms, and they pollute accurate decision making and planning in the marketing sphere. Now, we've been exploring over the last couple of years um, the, the commercial and technical viability of combining three innovative technologies. So that's artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, on-site digital journey validation, which is our expertise, and smart ledgers, blockchain, um, to create a digital humanity determination platform. So at the end of my section, I'll talk to you about the wider vision. But first of all, just so you've got a handle on what digital journey validation means, I'll step onto the next slide, please. <clears throat> Thank you. So. Um, our objective is really to bring about a step change in significantly reducing online fraud from non-human actors, which is to say bots, by verifying whether a specific digital action is carried out by a human being. We believe that we believe that proof of humanity in a transaction is a more certain and consistent approach rather than engaging in this never-ending war, and it is a war, and it is a, an arms race of bot detection attribution. Because criminal actors just have to keep innovating and we organizations like us just have to get lucky and find them uh, very quickly i was just working with a client of ours literally this morning who just had their website hacked and um they've had the website hacked by a criminal organization who's basically then redirecting traffic through to a website their own where they're trying to drive up the numbers and this happens all the time so on-site digital journey validation that's journey processing is about using the information currently in front of us so it's a snapshot of what's happening and some of you may have heard of the concept of the uncanny valley, which is often used in relation to the visual representation of artificially created, superficially human faces or robots. So usually robots, but now, now on screens. And the term was originally conceived by Professor Masahiro Mori when he was at the Tokyo Institute of Technology in 1970. 
he published a work on this piece. And he's describing the sense of unease and strangeness or scariness that humans feel when they're confronted with robots and other simulacra, uh, it's not the right pronunciation, but anyway, they always look human but don't. And interestingly, that can be applied to sound as well, to audio. And there's a really good um, YouTube uh, uh, video called um, How Audio Enhances the Horror of Five Nights at Freddy's, which I recommend you check out if you want to understand that. But the point I'm going to here is that this applies equally to journeys. Journeys from bots, as they become increasingly sophisticated, um, start to look more and more human. They look like there's a human moving a mouse around or touching a screen or whatever it might be, which they didn't at the beginning in terms of initial, initial types of bots. Um, and so you get that kind of feeling of this, this journey isn't right, what's going on here? And so what we have to use here, and this is what these graphs are showing, is use a set of journey processing techniques. We look at what's going on in real time, we look at what's going on afterwards in much more detail. So the graph bottom left demonstrates tendencies of actual behavior between humans on the left and bots on the right. And as you can see, they're quite similar, but actually even looking at the number of actions that a visitor will take on any individual page on the website tells us something. And on the right, we're looking at, uh, we're using random forest models and machine learning to, in order to see which feature classifications are more important than making decisions about determining the humanity of a visitor, because bots, as I said, become more sophisticated. So by using lots and lots of techniques, we've got a much better chance of finding them. One specific case in point, bottom left of the uh, on-site real-time list, mouse movement touch points. Mouse movement touch points is all about original bots. They didn't move the mouse. They didn't have touch points. They move from A to B and they click this thing and there's nothing in between. More modern bots are more sophisticated, but they moved in directly straight lines. Third generation, fourth generation bots add artificial jaggedness into it. So it looks like it's a human moving or a person touching. Edge screen touch points. Those are the kinds of things to look out for. So uh, next slide, please. Um, what we're looking at here, and I'm just going to touch on this very briefly, is around bot database. Uh, this is our bot database, bots we detected over the last year or two, I think it is here, primarily for our UK clients. So there's a lot of GB, which is the green in the left-hand graph, but we've also got uh, data um, from organisations in the US, 16%. We've got MyNER, we've got UAE, we've got Pakistan, we've got Bangladesh, we've got others. And what we find is that bots are very geographical. You don't tend to get a lot of bots that are targeting GB organizations operating in the US or Europe and vice versa. You also, certainly not in the ad space, and also they tend to be quite uh, specific in terms of um, the sector they're interested in. So bots will tend to target e-commerce and they will target sectors within e-commerce rather than others. And so knowing that kind of stuff, you, you've got a lot of knowledge about how you, you treat these things. So um, next slide, please. I'm just going to breeze very quickly through a couple of examples here of how much of an impact this has on our clients right now just by using this digital journey validation without the other techniques we're talking about around the outside of that. Um, so this is a client, beginning of October, as you can see they're running at 47.91% bot uh, traffic, budget wastage from bots across Facebook, this was. Um, and then by implementing these mitigation techniques, we're able to bring down their wastage down to 20.99%, which bottom line you can see actually means that they're wasting 13 and a half thousand less every two weeks on bots which is huge obviously for this organization that spend sort of 100,000 a month, 120,000 a month. Uh, next slide please. Um, so what what this also gives us is a couple of interesting factors. We Because we know what's happening with bots, we're monitoring them and looking at sources for them and indeed we're, we're helping find them. You know, we've got another organization we're working with and they found a, a scraping bot which is using adverts to go into find sites that are promoting themselves that therefore probably have valuable content that they don't want people to steal and they're stealing their content. So actually going in and using the advert is the attack vector. 
Um, and by looking out for that kind of thing, with these, we can see bot spikes. So here you can see in the main graph on the bottom left, you've got a bot spike around 22nd, 24th of February. Um, in this case, we didn't really need to do anything about it because it's, it's one of those things to a certain extent, but because it wasn't impacting on their other measures. So their CPM, which is what they pay for a thousand, a thousand impressions, top right, didn't alter, cost per click, tiny little bit up, but not really a big deal. So nothing to worry about, Just it's just bots being bots. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, and so this one is again uh, the protective element of, of looking looking for and understanding bots and removing them from your data. Uh, you may recognise these dates, uh, 27th, 28th, 29th of November, as being uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday time. And the yellow line in both is showing on the left the cost per click um, and the cost per lead on the right, and the green line is showing it when it's protected campaign. So this is a real A/B test. So you can see that actually by mitigating against bots. This, this, organ, this organization was able to actually keep the cost of their leads down and not pay so much for the clicks for the, for the visitors to come through the website because clearly bots are more active and there's more traffic. They can hide themselves better. And also just because there's a lot of stuff going on, people are spending money on it. Um, so that's that next slide. So I want to just touch on the identity problem, which is a really interesting one. So um, when the internet was really conceived, there was a, there was a lot, it was, it was conceived from the point of view of openness. So when Tim Berners-Lee laid out this proposed system for connecting computers at CERN, uh, which led to the World Wide Web, it was perceived that the flow of information between those would be largely uncontrolled. There'd be no distinction between the type of traffic, you know, there'd be no, no sort of intrinsic validity to a type of traffic, it just happened. Now clearly, getting to the, you've mentioned that with the real world and you have problems. Like on the internet, nobody knows your dog, very famous cartoon, but the point is, that's been abused. And so now we have a multitude of single source of truth identity systems in place. Now, people like Google, Facebook, others, but there's many more and they are using people's data to make money for themselves. But there's many scenarios where it's not appropriate nor necessary to actually identify who a visitor is. You just want to know that you're dealing with a human being. You're not gonna identify somebody in order to show them an advert. Um, and you're not gonna necessarily identify somebody to choose whether or not you show them a piece of content. You just wanna know, is it a human being? And that's where it comes into this project about veracity, which is where I'm going to spend the last part of my talking. So next slide, please. Um, so project veracity, conformity with truth or fact accuracy. This is a Innovate UK funded project, 2018. Uh, we worked with Jen uh, on some, getting some advice around the blockchain smart ledger side of things, a filament and AI specialist. Um, and we put together a concept, a proof of concept, which works, um, which shows us that by plugging together the the journey processing we've got and by extending that across multiple different sites and storing data in a single point of truth which is the distributed smart ledger using AI to process that we can learn a lot more we can block box more so the final slide that I'm going to go through um, thank you Michael um, sort of summarize the network I'm going to summarize this anyone's got any questions please do feel free free to ask them afterwards and I'm more than happy to share so you have an individual bottom left very smiley individual wanting to get through to a digital service. That digital service has to make a decision about, is this a human being? Am I, is it a human I'm dealing with or is it potentially a bot? And so this human has from this veracity network, a trust score. In this case, the score 8.2, so they're passing. They're getting in, it's an eight. Okay, you're letting them to seal the materials without needing to get them to log in, without needing them to prove who they are. You, you don't have the problems of looking at storing their data or recording their information, potential data risks and leakages and all that kind of stuff. You just know they're human or enough of a human. Now, behind the scenes, you, we, we already process those journeys, but when you start looking at how you process those journeys across many, many sites, particularly when you're looking at sectors such as financial services, where it may be not, not appropriate or legal for organizations to share 
any kind of identifiable visitor data. The ability to be able to share anonymous statistical data around visitor journeys and processes them as a group in AI allows you to look for patterns in a wider area. You can look for um, uh, point Michael made to me in one of my first meetings with him that the bots will tend to operate across multiple websites at the same time because that's how they work, their time processing and, their, and that's their commercial model works that way. So you can look for a, a single entity as it is that is operating across many websites at the same time. There's a, the flag. You can also look at journeys and different mapping patterns across multiple different websites and you can use that to inform this trust network, which by the way, based upon the principles of pretty good privacy. So in other words, it starts from the point of view of I'm an individual, Nigel, you validate me, that gives me a certain score. Michael, you validate me, that gives me a score. The bank validates me, it gives me another score, but still, it's still monitored and measured because that's still gameable. And that is all I have time for in this very, very quick summary. So I'm going to hand back to Nigel to finish off. Thank you for your time. Stuart, thank you very much. Just in the last closing minute or two. So so that's where we are. So here's where we're, we're going. So originally, we developed Beacon to counter ad fraud. And big problem, got a solution to it. That underlying engine that Stuart's just been talking about and is really critical because we're now answering that question, prove to me you're a human. So instead of testing, are you a bot? We ask the question, are you really a human? So we're detecting humanity in that internet transaction. Um, really proud of that. We recently awarded the Tech Nation Cyber Award for, for this thinking. But we're now taking this as a concept and we want to start applying it to different verticals because why just keep it in, in advertising? This is equally as valid in financial services, government, uh, medicine, health tech and so on. If we can begin to develop, if we can really develop this to detect humanity in an Internet transaction, then we could begin to really make a dent into this whole problem of fraudulent actors on the internet. So where do we go next? Um, thank you, Michael, just for the very final slide, is we're now taking this concept of veracity and we're pushing it forward in terms of the veracity trust network about really trying to distill humanity into an internet transaction for the benefit of all of us. I think it's probably my time up, but thank you very much, everyone, for listening and for your time. Very, very happy to take questions. Well, don't, don't, don't fear. There are tons of questions out here, and folks, please do use the GoToWebinar facility to send them in. Uh, but just to get cracking, um, just to explore, if we could, uh, so people understand a little bit more of the background to this, uh, Stuart and Nigel. Um, Hugh Purser is curious. Can you? I can see how budgets and an impact are undermined, but how does the stolen dollar end up in the hands of the criminals? Stuart, do you want to? Yeah, I'll, I'll pick that one up. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the question. It's um, one that gets asked a lot. Um, and we have a great infographic. We're more than happy to share um, afterwards. Um, the point is that uh, a lot of the ad fraud is really kind of drive-by shooting. So you, you're, you know, the, the ad interacting with your advert doesn't mean that they're getting money out of that. But what they're doing is they're trying to make bots look human. They're trying to make them look human so that um, they can be used to drive up value of por digital portfolio that is owned by um, the, uh, the criminal actors. So Methbot, which was mentioned at the beginning, is a prime example of that. What it did was it basically had a whole heap of websites that looked like they were really, really popular. And so through programmatic advertising, 
big big spenders big advertisers were putting efforts on those and that's where the revenue came from and then as michael mentioned they were using video pop numbers and all kind of stuff to serve like 100 ads to a bot that never saw it but then 100 people paid for it uh, david schwartz is interested does the prohibition on third-party data make the cross-site traffic validation more difficult uh, and if so how are you overcoming it Another really good question. Thank you. Um, so obviously third party cookies, which is where we're going with this, um, are something that are pretty much dead in the water now. And I think Google's recent announcements have killed them permanently, even in Chrome. Um, but what's happening is that Google are now sort of building their own internal ecosystem so that the only people can see the cross-site data themselves and Apple are doing the same and Facebook are doing the same. From our point of view, we're interested in the journey in one space. And the reason for the veracity network is it allows us to Look at those journey in an anonymized fashion or anonymized us fashion so that we can assess them without needing to do the process of tracking people across different websites because that's not really very useful it's how do they behave individually so i would say that it's going to not have any real impact on this project mm. well you, you touched on something that a couple of people here are interested in uh, the advertising market is quite tight on, online you know google facebook twitter i'm already dropping off Knowing, knowing some of the numbers there, uh, isn't it their responsibility? Are you both telling us we can't trust Google AdWords when it tells us uh, we owe them uh, 13,000 pounds for a month's worth of advertising? I'll, I'll answer very quickly and then Nigel will jump in as well. Yeah. Amazon, by the way, is the third biggest now, Michael, so you've got that one. Me. Um, but um, broadly speaking, yes, it kind of is their problem, but also broadly speaking, they don't tend to do with it. We see sort of 12 to 15 percent on Google ads and somewhere 35 to 40 percent on Facebook in terms of fraudulent traffic. Nigel, do you want to add on to that? Um, yeah. So in many ways, you're paying Google, you're, you're putting the ad out, you're paying Google to display the ad. I'm innocent. I pay the money. Google take the money for that ad to be displayed. Unfortunately, it's a third party that is clicking on it. And actually, people like Google, they are trying hard to, you know, to stop bots. But it is such a large problem. Google can only begin to do that work in the Google world, Twitter in the Twitter world, Facebook in the Facebook world. What we're looking at here is going across all of those and trying to add that additional layer. And if you can take out 10 or 20 percent out of that 40 percent wastage, that is a material change. But certainly I, you know, I am all for Google, Facebook and those guys you know, really working hard to try and stop this as a problem. Mm. Yeah, I must say I'm somewhat unconvinced. You know, it's a small group of players, uh, effectively, it seems to me they're complicit in the fraud. The, the money flows from them. Uh, they're the people who are paying the cash out. Um, Anyway, I'll, I'll leave it at that, but uh, that's me. Um, Debate for another day. Yes, indeed. I, I won't get out of the ethics. Uh, Bob McDowell says, why is ad fraud high profit? Um, is it the scale of the advertising or the ease or the limited number of things you have to do? What, what are some of the reasons? Why, why does it come up there as a high profit activity? Because you still have to put out these large bot farms and things, don't you? You're, it's not. It's not like you don't have to do some work. No, you have to do some work, but your, your return on investment is so much higher. If you think about it, if I, if I can program a little server sitting in my room here for a specific bot activity, it only needs to be 1%, you know, hit 1% of, of sites where it, where it can uh, be effective. I'm not doing anything. I programmed it once, I walked away. 
Um, for a number of these bot farms, yes, we've all seen photos and videos of you know people in you know China or wherever it happens to be, you know, coding away. But they're working on thousands upon thousands upon thousands of end user websites. So the scale is is huge. And it is literally a scale issue. It's easy entry, high volume, therefore high value. I just want to add one point to that, which is to make, make the point that the advertising industry as a whole is not transparent. I mean, it is really, really not transparent. And so the moment you have complicated transactions that are being carried out by machinery, you know, programmatic advertising is, you know, is is one one bit of software saying I've got this space I want and another bit of software saying okay, I'll bid on that. And so because of that lack of transparency and very rapid transactions and lots of money flow, it's, it's absolutely right for, um, for fraudulent activity. Okay. Um, Bob's curious, is, is there a way that you can strike back against such perpetrators, giving them a taste of their own medicine? You know, if so, what is it? Uh, are there any legal constraints to doing that sort of thing? Oof, oh, gosh. I mean, le legal constraints almost certainly, and I wouldn't want to comment. I'll leave that to people far brighter than I am. But I mean, it's, it's a difficult thing because you're fighting against ghosts, if you will. And you're fighting against ghosts who probably are quite well armed, if you see what I mean. They've got a lot of money because they've been doing this for years. And they could probably do you a lot more damage than than them. You know, people even Google occasionally get taken down by bot attacks. So the best you can do is try and mitigate them in your own space, stop them impacting, try and build a consensus across the industry as we are trying to do with the Veracity Trust Network, and then change it that way. Hmm. Um, Sean Glasgow is curious. Do some of the privacy rules lead to more fraud as the algorithms can't do their job so well? Hmm. Interesting question. Um, I think, I think there is a danger. Sorry, Stuart, you, you, you carry on. No, no, fine. Uh, I think that we're possibly too early to tell, but maybe is, is the answer I'll give to that. And maybe that's a longer conversation, which I'm more than happy to reach out to me on LinkedIn. We can talk there. Um, Nigel, you brought up the, um, the uh, National Crime Agency report, which was an interesting report in 2018. But what what did they do other than moan? Were there some strong suggestions for reform and were they implemented? Um, there are a couple of things that came out of that saying, um, here's some issues, here's what we need to do about it, we'll kick off some working parties. As far as I know, a number of those working parties are still, still going. Um, they're coming up with some really interesting angles. So for example, um, several years ago, bot fraud was about how do I stop the bot? We've spun that on its head to say, prove to me you're a human. If you think about that and you think about the logic of, I need you to prove to me that you're a human, then you've got various things spinning out of that. Prove to me you're male, not female. Prove to me you're over 18 and not under 12. That kind of thinking. And so I certainly know that out of, out of the National Crime Agency stuff, a number of these initiatives have kicked out in the Home Office to really try to work through safety on the internet, which I think is, can only be applauded. So I, th I think it has triggered some really good stuff. Oh, that it will come quicker because technology is going quickly and the, the bad actors are very fast at this. I, I certainly know that in some of the police organisations, I mean, so I've got a friend who's a detective in Police Scotland, that they spend a lot of their time now trying to combat this as, as a sort of key indicator to crime, because the money is, you know, as it's mentioned, it's, it's reused into more traditional forms of crime. So they do spend a lot of time trying to fight, combat this. Um, Ian Harris has got a question that coming from the perspective of an SME. 
you know, as an SME myself, you know, I don't know where we started calling ourselves that, but anyway, as a small business person, um, you know, I go to I go to Google AdWords and I, I lay down some ads and I give it away. Uh, Ian's kind of curious, what can an SME really do? And are there any particular questions or probes that you should ask Google before you set up that type of relationship? Or is it really what you're talking about more for the big boys and girls? I know, I, let, let me just answer that very briefly. We're, we're, we're a small business as well. We came out of small business. Um, our client base, for example, is small business as well as enterprise. I think if you're spending something that is meaningful in terms of online advertising, and that could be 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 a month, let alone 20 million, then there are things you can do. And if I, if we can reduce your waste by from 50% to 25%, that becomes meaningful. So there is no, there's a very low floor to engagement here. Um, and if anyone wants to talk afterwards, very happy to chat because I, I think this is a, this is a, an answer for SMEs as much as it is enterprises. And another question along the same lines is how can somebody get a quick estimate of what their particular loss might be, or is it fairly uniform across the board? Um, Gotcha. Yeah, no. So, I mean, there is a, there is a uniformity to it in the sense that you're within a certain band, depending on the ad networks you're using. Um, but it, it it is difficult to look back because you don't have the visitor data. But we we are able to kind of give a good idea based upon sector, geography, and a few other things as well. But broadly speaking, if you're primarily a Facebook shop, you're going to be somewhere between 35, 45 percent ad fraud. If you're Google, somewhere around 15 percent. Other channels may vary. But if you're e-commerce, you probably got a bit more than if, for example, you're B2B. So, you know, I mean, there are ways to go back and get reasonably good guesses. But the best bet is to sort of like engage in something like this and, and try it out for a month, get the baseline from there. Draw it from there. I was just going to say, certainly what, what we will do when we engage with clients, we'll spend the first month or two just looking at that to quantify. Yeah. Now, uh, Stuart, you showed um, your example of the, the way that the network uh, worked. Um, a number of people are interested, obviously, in what was the contribution? Why did it need to be a distributed ledger, smart ledger, blockchain technology? Or was that just a kind of a fancy database? Um, that's a completely different conversation, isn't it, Michael? Um, I think it's important with something like this that you've got a, a, a fixed record of the validity of a single entity. Because there was an entity within there. We're hoping it's going to be a human being, but it may well be a bot. Um, we need to know where the decisions were made around, okay, we're upping the score here, we're reducing the score here because of these things that happen. And, and that record needs to be freely available, at least to the entity owner, if not to anyone else. And clearly smart ledges are, are the best technology available to us, to us to do that right now. I mean, obviously these aren't, you know, not they're not ubiquitous, you know, they are, you know, dis distinct elements, but um, yeah, it's still important to have that. Yeah. Now the, the network that you described is clearly one that, it almost begs to have a community around it, a group of advertisers who want to work with each other so that my probing of an individual, you know, is being shared with you and vice versa. Um, have you succeeded in establishing such a community? Um, we, that's the next step. Uh, so we're having conversations at the moment. It, it's not necessarily advertisers because obviously veracity as we see it is multi, multi-vertical. Um, so conversations with people like telecoms providers, banks, and so on. Um, 
there is a critical mass element here but i think that critical mass element is quite low and once we meet that reach that entry point um every other player coming in will benefit from all of the current players as well as themselves so it becomes a law of increasing returns um, but our next phase in terms of project veracity is to find those anchors to really really kick this off get it going absolutely everyone wins everyone wins Stuart, a number of people here are kind of just a little bit vague on where the what what type of information they get when they join this sort of may I call it a mutual? So I, yeah. I'm in the mutual. Um, I'm putting in. I thought this was a bot. I thought that was a bot. I thought that was a real person. Does that come back as an IP address, or how how does that how does that factor back to them? Um, well, it comes back as a, as a token. So the idea is that, that all the entities in this will have, a, have some sort of signature, which will be, it won't be IP because that's not a fixed element and actually technically it comes under GDPR, um, but it'll be some kind of signature based around IP, around browser signature, around a browser signature, around a few other factors that we know that um, we have an entity here that is the same entity as it was elsewhere, um, obviously without going into too much detail on this call. Um, and what they get back is they're able to go for this entity. Do you know about it? And if you do, what is humanity score? So that's the what's the likelihood that what you're dealing with is human? Because it's not a one zero thing. I mean, it may well be if you definitely know you've got a bot, then you've got a bot. But otherwise, you're looking at the greater percentage. Why you have that eight score on there? Because the idea is that basically if you're 80% sure it's human, I'll treat it in this way. If it's 60% human, I might ask it to do something else to validate its humanity, and I'll feed that back into the network. So the idea is that you've got certainty about what you're dealing with. Okay. Uh, Richard Beastel's curious, um, are the third party media agencies and buyers showing an interest in using this technology for their clients? Yeah, so um, I, um, amongst other things I do, I sit on the DMA North Council, which is the Data and Marketing Association. And I sit on their North Council and we've got a project around this. Um, and we have um, had a high degree of interest from a variety of organisations, including TikTok, Twitter, and some of the larger media agencies in the north. So yes, there's there's a definite sense that this is a problem, that the industry needs to do something about it. The same kind of way that they um they address the problem with um, um email spam. Email spam, I'm sure we all remember 15, 20 years ago, was utterly diabolical. And it's the industry that changed it. It wasn't government legislation. And so this is the same kind of thing where the industry's got to lead that. And I think there's a feeling from a lot of networks that there's something got to be done. Hmm. Okay. Well, you know, it, it is a very reminiscent of the Turing test. And I remember, of course, uh, one of the, it was, uh, I believe it's the Guatemalan founder of Duolingo, in fact, uh, created the CAPTCHA, which he originally got going and sold to, um, yeah. sold to Google. And so it's kind of a reverse Turing test, isn't it? Are you really a human? Are you really, really a human out yeah, there? It's absolutely. amazing stuff. The thing, the thing with captures these days is they mostly seem to be training Google smart driving algorithms. So, you know, I'm always a bit suspicious of them. Yeah. But the, the thing with this is, yeah, it becomes self-reinforcing. You've got humans validating you really are a human, and therefore bots go down, humans go up. So it should just get better over time, rather than the one-off binary capture. Yeah. So this explains all the Terminator films, doesn't it? <laughs> Eventually. You, you know there is actually Skynet. I'm sure you're aware of that. There is actually an American organization called Skynet. Which you, you think that they would have a sense of irony, but maybe not. Oh well. Uh, well, uh, I think day after tomorrow we might be seeing, on the first of April in the morning, we've seen quite a few of those those uh -huh. sorts of, those sorts of organizations being advertised. Um, just just in terms of um, 
how, how do people get started down this road? You know, do you, you provide some sort of quick audit and they can do it? Or what's the first step for somebody? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, number one, if you're advertising online, you are being, there are bots out there, so do something about it. That's number one. Um, absolutely, come and talk to us. We can do an audit. We can look at that. We can help. Other organizations can do the same, absolutely, and we can all work in concert. But there are things that you can do and things you can do swiftly and easily to make it, you know, to make it easier. Yeah. People literally wasting money day by day, and we can help waste less very quickly. Just engage. There are solutions. Could you give the audience just one teaser example of a simple thing they could do quickly? Um, yep. So if you're advertising on Google, there are a number of platforms out there that will stop the bots in their tracks. Google, Google, find them. We're one the other one, I'll give you, I'm going to give you the other half of that teaser, which is if you are working with an agency, so even SMEs often work with agencies, um, ask them the question about what they're doing about it. That's a very key thing to do because obviously they're the ones ultimately who are expending your money for you. So speak to them. Hold them to account. Yeah. Okay. Well, gentlemen, it's been it's been really interesting. It's, it's, I think this is a, a grotesquely unexplored area that really needs a lot more uh, sunlight shown upon it. Uh, we certainly enjoyed doing our research work with you. That was absolutely uh, great fun uh, and enjoyable. Um, just a quick closing question, probably more for you, Stuart. Um, what's, what is the edge of research in this space? What's, what's the next level of trying to ascertain what's human and what's automated? That's a really interesting question, one one that I feel needs a, needs a glass of wine or something in the hand. But um, I think, you know, without blowing our own trumpet too much, I think it is very much around determining humanity rather than trying to always try and determine what bots are going on, because bot networks spring up all over the place all the time. And they get more and more sophisticated. And it, it feels to me, I don't know if you're familiar with PGP, there's pretty good privacy, that the whole concept around that was that individuals would validate each other and they get their own organisations to validate them. And that was... I don't know, it never really took off into, into, a, into a consumer space, you know, get probably a bit too techy. And I think making that work so that you can get your friends and family to validate you without them necessarily having to do something, that's that's going to be a sea change to this because suddenly you know what you're dealing with. And yeah, that's that's it really. And sort of a, a, a closing comment, which I suspect, Nigel, you'll flip back. Uh, <laughs> but it would appear to me that if we can redress this balance, it's going to make humans more valuable. <laughs> In other words, I, I know that my ad is being served to a real human, therefore it is a more valuable experience. And this aligns in many ways with the GDPR suite of regulation coming out of the EU that basically says this is my data and if there are returns to it, they should be in some way partially accruing uh, to me. So is there sort of a, in a sense, a, a global economic push in this space and one that would support GDPR over perhaps more anarchic regimes. Yes, I, I think 100%. You, you know, going down this route can only make things better for us as individuals, for society, for advertisers, for spenders, because you're taking away as many of the bad actors as you can. Other sectors have done it. It's time we cleaned up our act, I think, in this sector. Okay. Well, gentlemen, um, sadly, we've come to the end of time. Um, I hope I've successfully simulated a bot. I wasn't really here. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, I'd like to say thanks uh, really in three quick rounds, if I may. Firstly, uh, to our sponsors, all of whom are involved in technology, economics and finance. And so very concerned with uh, the totality of the online economy and advertising has been driving, driving that online economy uh, and really does need to be cleaned up, as you both said. I'd like to thank the audience as ever, um, a bright audience today. And in fact, it was interesting. Uh, nobody left in the first 30 minutes. So you, uh, the two of you have uh, genuinely hit a bit of a record there. I think it was probably when you opened up and explained that this was a way they could make a lot of money. So they all hung around for that. But uh, <laughs> we'll see. Um, we thought about it, Mike. Yeah, that's it. Um, I, I might point out that we've uh, still got a few more things coming up uh, before Easter. Uh, as ever, go and check out the website, but I will put a special plug in tomorrow for a dear friend of mine, uh, Peter Gummer, Lord, Lord Deben, to many of you, who's going to come and talk about why the roots of true conservatism are essential to saving the planet. It should be absolutely fascinating uh, tomorrow at midday. Uh, but of course, the people I really need to thank right now are uh, Nigel Bridges and Stuart Butcher, who have been great to work with over the years and most enjoyable. But thanks for coming on and sharing uh, your thoughts on, on this re really overlooked area. And I'm delighted that you've been making some really good progress. I uh, can't open the floodgates of applause, but uh, to show you that the audience is real. Uh, but I can uh, bring my little uh, analog karmic Korean clapper and give you some fake applause. Uh, and we hope to have you back, uh, hopefully, when you've uh, managed to get uh, some of these media agencies uh, moving up to the next level. So thank you thank both you very much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.